0: Good morning, everyone. We're so glad. Let me just re-echo Michelle's welcome. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're watching online. It's great to have a full auditorium this morning as we celebrate together. Would you pray with me this morning? The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Jesus, we've gathered to honor you, the only one who willingly laid down his life and then took it back up again. Only you have the power over our greatest enemy, death, and you exhibited that in your resurrection and your promise of offering life to any who would come to you to believe was shown to be true. You were shown to be who you claimed to be. You were shown that all that you had said was accurate and true. And now all that remains is the choice that we each have of whether or not we will follow you, whether or not we will trust you, whether or not we will believe, with all the implications that come with that. But Jesus, thank you for your willingness to step out of heaven and come to this earth to take on human form and give your life in our place, to pay a debt that we could not pay, to open a door for us to have a relationship with you and with the Father not only now, but for eternity, that is truly life-transforming. And I pray that today we would celebrate you well in all that we do. And that as we go eventually from this place, that that idea, that memory, that celebration will stay with us, because you have indeed risen, and that changes everything. God, in a world that needs hope, where so many places that we look, there are things that are broken, there is evil, and we do not understand all of how you work all that together, but we trust that you are over it, and that you are bringing all things together to accomplish your plan, and ultimately that your plan is good, but we pray for those who are suffering, who are going through tremendous trial, displacement, war, grief, struggle, Father, we lift them up to you, and thank you that you are aware of every human being on this planet, you care about each one, and we trust that you will intervene in these situations as fits your plan, Lord, we submit to you. And now as we reflect upon Mark's account of the resurrection, I pray that you would open our eyes and minds to what you want to teach us this morning, what you want to remind us of, what you want to challenge us with, because the resurrection is is certainly something that brings us hope, but there's also a challenge that's wrapped up in it. And so I pray that we would truly hear what your spirit wants to say to us today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you know anything about me, one of the things you probably know is that I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I may or may not have the sword of Andril hanging in my office. I'm a fan. I remember when the I heard that the uh, books were being made into movies, I'd read the books multiple times growing up and I was just so excited and uh, when the first movie came out, Jody surprised me with tickets to the midnight showing of The Fellowship of the Ring. And I remember walking out of that movie at about 3am, yes it's a good three hours long, and thinking this is the best start to a day ever. <laughs> Not so sure everyone else would have agreed. But maybe you have a movie series or maybe a TV show that you're just really, really into. And you can't wait for the next installment to come out. You're excited for the next season, the next episode, whatever it may be. And if we could imagine the life of Jesus like a number of seasons of episodes, uh, I want to imagine us kind of coming into the last season here. And we're going to jump into kind of the end of the story. So just in case you missed seasons one and two, let me bring you up to speed as to where we are. The main character, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. He was a Jewish rabbi who went public in his early 30s and for about three years traveled from place to place sharing with people the good news of what he called the kingdom of God. He fit the prophecies and the pedigree concerning the birth of a promised Messiah, which simply means chosen or anointed one. He taught with a unique confidence that the people had not heard before about God and about life. He healed people of various diseases and afflictions. He even raised some from the dead. Everyone knew about Jesus of Nazareth. But the things he said about himself perhaps caused the greatest stir. He said things like, I and the Father are one, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He even called himself the name of God, I am, using the name that was used only for God. These were strong claims indeed, and as you might imagine, the responses to Jesus were all across the board. Some saw him as a fraud, someone who was lying to the people and needed to be stopped at all costs. Others saw him as delusional, worthy of pity, but little else. Even his family had doubts about his sanity, at least initially. Still others were intrigued by his teaching and his miracles. He seemed like a wise and good man, but wouldn't accept that he was God in human form. But others believed. They believed the promises. They pictured new realities. They bought in, in many cases leaving everything to follow This teacher called Jesus. And then the unimaginable happened. Their leader, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Son of God, died. In fact, he was betrayed by a close friend, accused by the religious leaders, and then executed by the occupying power like a common criminal. Many of them watched it happen. They were there, and they were broken. It couldn't get any worse. It was over. And they no longer believed. After all, what was there left to believe in? Uh, Even though Jesus had told them at least three times that he would die and rise again on the third day, they still did not understand. Sometimes our emotion, our pain, the reality right in front of us will not allow us to see or believe a different ending to the story. What they knew, what some of them had seen, was the body of Jesus had been laid in a tomb tomb. ...sealed with a large stone and guarded by soldiers to ensure that no one stole the body. That was on a Friday. Saturday, the Sabbath, a day of prescribed rest, came and went. And then came Sunday. And this is where we pick up the story. If you have a way to look at scripture, I really want to encourage you to open your app or open your Bible to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we're going to look at Mark's account of the resurrection... There are four accounts in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each are telling it from a different point of view, and yet they're all over important to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. We're going to take a look at Mark's account, and we're going to start right in the beginning of chapter 16 this morning. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now they could not come on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was a day of rest. So most likely Sabbath ran from sundown to sundown. So it started on Friday at sundown. So Jesus was executed and then around 3 o'clock or sometime in the afternoon his body would have been taken down after they were sure that he was dead. He was hastily placed in a tomb. They would have known where this was. They paid attention to this because they knew they would want to go back to properly anoint his body. And so sundown on Friday starts the Sabbath, Uh, sundown on Saturday it ends, possibly that night they go and buy spices to prepare for the next morning when they would get up early and head to the tomb. This was extremely important to them. This was a part of the custom of the day, to anoint someone's body with spices. Quite honestly, it was to help with the decomposition process, (laughs) stumble over that word a little bit, because death stinks. It really is. Death stinks. It's our greatest enemy, but that's what they were fighting against. But it was also a sign of respect and honor and love. You would do this for someone that you cared about, and they deeply cared about Jesus. And so at the earliest possible time, they awaken even before dawn, and they're heading towards the tomb. And as they're going that direction, very early, verse 2, in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You see, they were aware that in a tomb setting there was a rolling stone that would be moved across the entrance to keep people from grave robbing. And the religious leaders were certainly concerned that someone might steal Jesus' body. They'd heard some of these predictions that he might come back to life. So they wanted to make sure that, wasn't, that story wasn't going to be told because someone might steal his body and say, Oh, Jesus came back to life. And so they even had a guard that was there making sure that no one interfered. This stone would have taken several people to move. It was heavy. It was a heavy stone. So these women are heading towards the tomb. They're having this conversation of, Well, we've got an obstacle, We a literal obstacle How are we going to roll the stone away? They likely would have known by this point that there was a Roman guard there in place, but they were not counting on those people to help them. They were considered often the enemy. And so we don't know exactly what their plan would have been, but they didn't have to figure it out. Because as they head towards the tomb, verse 4, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. It had been moved. And so this is what a tomb in Israel would look like. These have been excavated. Very, the biblical account fits with the tombs of that day and what they would have looked like. So this is the idea of what they would have witnessed. And they would have been surprised. They would have been shocked. Verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they would go and you have to kind of crouch down to get in there to look in to see what was going on. They saw a young man dressed dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, in a tomb like this, generally, often there would be shelves cut into the rock, and the body would be laid on one of those shelves, and then, you know, eventually, as the body decomposed, the bones would be gathered and put into another location in the tomb. But Jesus' body was likely laying on one of these shelves, and as they go and look in, there's a figure sitting there on the shelf next to where Jesus' body would have been. And this man is dressed in white. He's in a white robe and he's sitting there. And their response is that they were alarmed. No kidding. I would have been alarmed too. So many questions would have rolled into your mind. Think about this. You're going to a tomb, expecting to prepare a body, a dead body. You're not expecting anyone else to help you or engage in this process. So first of all, you've seen the stone is rolled away, the body's not there, and now there's somebody in the tomb sitting there that looks like somebody you've never seen before. Often in scripture, those who are dressed in white represent angels. This is most likely an angel, a messenger of God who was sitting there waiting to give them a message, (laughs) a message, because it was important that they understood what was going on. But they were certainly alarmed. Other Gospels tell us that several people who came to the tomb, including these women, saw the linen wrapping and the head cloth, which wouldn't be there if someone had stolen the body. You wouldn't take the time to unwrap the body from the linen that they would have used the two days before to just quickly prepare the body and put it in the tomb. If you're going to steal the body, why in the world would you do that? They realize that something that this really can't compute in their brains is going on. And they're highly alarmed. So much confusing info to process all at once. And then this guy in white who's sitting there says to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And he identifies you're in the right place. This is the right spot. This is where Jesus was. I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. You saw it. You know that it happened. Yes, he was dead. He didn't faint on the cross and then come back and get out of the tomb somehow. He was dead. The Romans were experts at making sure that they were dead. And when he was laid in that tomb, he was dead. But he goes on to say that's not the end of the story. He was crucified. He has risen. He has risen, which simply means he's alive. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. You can look with your own eyes. You can see And see the evidence. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. It's as if the angel says to them. It's okay. I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus. The one who was just crucified. He was truly dead. He was lying right here. You know it and I know it. But now he's gone. And your questions of why he's gone and what may have happened, let me be real clear. It's not because someone took his body. It's because he's alive. It's because everything he said about himself is true. It's those promises that he made have come true that he holds the power over death. He is alive. It's like he said, "Go ahead, see for yourselves." I know it's as hard to take in what I'm telling you, but go ahead. And then, once you've seen, please go tell his friends. Go tell his friends who are in hiding, wondering if the religious leaders are going to come for them next. Go let them know, especially Peter. And I love this. It's Peter's the only one named here of all the friends, especially Peter. Why especially Peter? Because that's the guy who denied me three times. That's the guy who said he would die for me and then couldn't even stick with me when it came to the end. And I love Peter. And I want him to know that he is welcome back with me. That I don't hold this against him. He is forgiven and I want to use him in great ways. I love that. For many of us who may feel like we've gone far from God, it's wonderful to know that there's a God who wants to welcome us back and say, I have a use for you. I have a use for you. I love you. And I want to extinguish, to maintain and keep that relationship with you. Especially Peter. To meet him in Galilee. They'll see him for themselves there, just as he told them they would. They're going to get to witness him. And then, verse 8 what is the women's response? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were. Afraid. Notice these words, trembling, bewildered, afraid. These are strong and understandable reactions to what they had just experienced. They went to the tomb expecting to wrap a dead body. They left trying to wrap their minds around the news that he was now alive, that he was no longer there. Now when it says they said nothing. The idea is they said nothing on their way. Eventually, they will get to the disciples. Other gospels fill in some of these details, and they will share the good news of what they've seen, and and the disciples won't believe them. They won't even believe them. Peter and John will run to the tomb themselves to go investigate, and they'll see what the women said was true. Jesus is no longer there, and the evidence is that his body was not taken, but that he is indeed alive. But on the way, they're they're not telling anybody else. They don't know how that would be received. I mean, imagine that. Imagine having that news that someone that was dead is now alive and you're traveling to go tell his friends and you meet up with say, why are you in such a hurry? What are you going to say? Well, I went to wrap a dead guy's body, but he wasn't there because he's alive now. Okay. You're crazy. All right. On. Next one. Right? Because they, don't, they were afraid of what would happen. No, you're part of a plot to steal his body. Whatever the reason was, they were, they were scared. But he still went eventually and told the disciples. It's interesting in that day, um, and it's very different than our culture today, but in that culture, women were not often viewed as as witnesses in court, in, in the culture in which they were. So it's interesting to see that God chooses to include women as the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. It's as if he's affirming and lifting up women, saying, you know, I, I'm going to use the most unlikely. If somebody made up this story, you would not make up that women were the first to see the empty tomb. Because in that culture, no one would believe that. They wouldn't, their testimony wouldn't be valid. It would be men that would do that. And it's as if God is saying, no, I, I want to I have the first witnesses be women. I want them to know that I care and I, I lift them up as well. And here is where Mark ends. Now, if you look down at your Bible, you're like, well, wait a minute, no, it doesn't. There's a whole other section after this, right? And yet, as we've seen more and more research come out from scholars researching this in early manuscripts, this last section of the, of the book of Mark is not found in the earliest manuscripts. The, the style of writing is very different than what we find in the rest of the book of Mark. Most likely, this was not the original ending to the book of Mark. The book of Mark ended at verse 8. And stop and think about that for a moment. So the last book of this gospel, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Dead stop. Does that feel like an abrupt ending to you? Why would Mark do that? Why would Mark end his book so abruptly? Well, we have other evidences and, and examples in scripture of this happening. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, maybe you've read the, read the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah ends very abruptly. And one of the reasons for that is that Jonah wants to force us to process what just happened. They don't fill in the epilogue, the end of the. They, they leave it right at this pivot point, and then you have to respond as a reader. And I think that's exactly what Mark's doing here. Mark gets to that very pivot point, Jesus' resurrection, the angel declaring. He doesn't include any of the appearances of Jesus. He just ends with this, the angel said it, the tomb is empty, the women witnessed it, and that's it. What's going to happen next? When's the next episode dropping? We want to know the rest of the story, right? And yet Mark purposely doesn't go any further because he wants us to wrestle with these things. Mark is the shortest and likely the earliest gospel. He doesn't start with Jesus' birth, but jumps right in at his baptism, his initiation to public ministry. And he ends with the culmination of why Jesus came, the resurrection. But he doesn't include any appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. And like I said, he ends abruptly, like we know there's more to the story. In ending with the women's response, he pulls us in as listeners to ask some important questions, and this is what I want us to wrestle with this morning. And the first question is, how would you respond? How would you respond? If you were one of those women, one of those first witnesses to an empty tomb, where you expected to find someone who was dead, and that person was no longer there, and all the evidence, as much as you couldn't quite wrapped her head around it, pointed to the fact that, no, no one moved his body, he actually came back to life. How do you respond to that? Would you also be bewildered and afraid? I think I would. Would there be confusion in your mind as to what's really going on, that this goes against everything that you know that could happen? Would you seek to deny it? Would you seek another explanation? Because this is simply impossible. This could not have happened. Now, on the woman's part, we know from other gospel accounts that they did go and tell the disciples, and they did get to see eventually the risen Jesus. They believed. They believed that this had really taken place, and they had the evidence to back it up. But it turns to us as readers and hearers of the story, and the question for us to grapple with is, what do we believe about Jesus? We make an assumption sometimes in in a gathering like this that Do we all believe the same thing? Likely not. When you first heard a message of Jesus rising from the dead and being the one who could could pay for your sin and and open up a way for you to have a relationship with God, uh, assuming that you heard that message before sometime, how did you first respond to it? Probably you had questions. Probably you were a little bit afraid of what that meant for you. If there really is a God, and he really did this for me, and if I really am accountable to him, that can be a little bit scary. That can cause us to be afraid. But as you've processed that and thought about it, many of us have come to the conclusion that this really happened. That this is a historical event, not just a nice story. And because of that, it has ramifications for us. Do you believe do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, honestly, you could take all of Christianity and almost condense it to this one question. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? There's so many arguments about so many things. Let me just ask you, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because if you believe that, it has implications for all of us. Then we are going to answer to that Jesus, the one who has all power and authority, even over our greatest enemy, death, what we cannot conquer. And if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if you believe that that tomb was truly empty because he had risen back to life, how is that belief impacting your life? Because the implications are this Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of our lives. He wants to be the center of our lives. And if he really is the one who died for us and rose again, he has every right to hold that position. He has every right to hold that position. The question is the question is, will we acknowledge? Will we acknowledge that he is not just simply Savior? But he also desires to be Lord of our lives, the authority in our lives, the center of our lives. And when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't mean, as you go and do your thing, I'll come along with you. Now, that's true. Jesus will be with us. But when Jesus calls us, he says, no, I'm going here. I'm calling you to follow me. In what it is that I'm doing. And we sometimes look at that and we say, well, that, where you're going is uncomfortable. I'm not so sure I want to go there. I would have to maybe leave some things or, or make, you know, rearrange my schedule or, or things that are really important to me couldn't be quite as important because compared to you, they, I'd have to let some of these things go. Yep, you got it. He makes no apology for calling us to that kind of allegiance and obedience. Why? Because he knows that the best life that human beings can have is a life of following Jesus. It is not the easiest life. It is not the most comfortable life. It is not a life where all of our questions will be answered the way we want them to be. But it is a life of fulfillment and significance unlike anything we can find on our own. And it also comes with a promise that this Jesus who conquered death also is the same Jesus who offers us life. Not just here in this life, but for eternity. So that when this life is over, and that time comes when each of us will close our eyes for the last time, it won't really be for the last time. Because of Jesus, we can have life after this life. That's the promise that a resurrected Jesus makes to us. But we need to understand that believing in Jesus is more than just fire insurance or it's nice to have a buddy alongside of me. No, Jesus is going to push in your life for much more than that. He's going to push to be the authority. He's going to push to be the center of your life because that is where he belongs. And when that happens, as we pursue that, and that's what we're about as a church, influencing people to fully follow Jesus because we believe that that's the best life that we can have. Maybe you're in a situation this morning, and you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's great. We're celebrating that today. What are the implications for your life? Are you going to walk out of here just feeling good, that you know that you're, you're okay when this life is over? Or are you making decisions on a regular basis to say, Jesus, if I'm following you, where are you going, and what does it mean to be obedient and go there with you? What do I have to leave behind? What do I have to change in my life? What, when, and he doesn't ask us to do it alone. He comes alongside us. He helps us. But those are questions that we have to grapple with. Now maybe for some this morning, there's still that maybe sense like the women. Maybe you're feeling a bit like them, confused and afraid. This is a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. What could it possibly mean for you? Just know that you're not alone. I can relate to that. I mean, after all, to really consider the idea of someone dying and coming back to life, it does seem kind of fanciful, if we want to use that word, right? But the evidence is there. And I want to encourage you to consider that reality. And to keep pursuing this God that perhaps you... Perhaps you've seen him at work in your life and you just don't know quite how to talk about it or you don't, you've seen things happen that you can't explain. There's a, a force, you might say, at work that you've seen protecting you or opening up opportunities or providing you with blessings in your life. And, and you acknowledge that, but you, 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 just, you need to put these things together. And I want to encourage you, if you would, if that's where you are, And maybe you haven't come to a point in believing in this Jesus and trusting in this Jesus. We have an opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks. It's just a group called Starting Point. It's for people who are starting off in their faith journey, who have questions about Jesus and who He is and what He did. And we're just going to show you a quick clip about that, just to maybe encourage you to participate, because we believe it is the most important relationship that you could ever experience. And so for those of you who may be questioning or wondering... Maybe this is an opportunity for you. Let's show the video.
1: As you know, faith is not a destination. Faith is a journey. And some of you are pretty far along on that journey. But others of you may have a lot of questions. You may be at the very beginning of your faith journey. And the church... Well, the church is the last place you think to speak up or ask your questions or voice your doubts. So let's change that. The starting point is where questions about God turn into conversations about faith, about your faith, It's a place where you can actually voice your doubts and explore some of the trickiest topics of faith, free from pressure and free from judgment. You see, we'd rather talk with you than at you. And Starting Point is where that happens. So if you're ready, let's talk.
0: find all the information about starting point on our website on the hub and sign up for that we'd love to have you be a part of that with us i just want to ask you this question what's the next episode of your life what's the next episode that's going to be of, of your life what's it going to look like is it going to be one of following a risen savior and all the implications that flow from that because this is what i know following him is a life filled with hope it's a life filled with hope A hope, not just I I wish that this would happen, but a, a hope that can be certain that there is a God who loves you, who died for you, and has all the power needed to accomplish anything that He wants. I know that leaves us with questions as to why He doesn't do certain things or stop certain things. That's a part of what Starting Point will talk about. But He loves you, and He has the power of the resurrection that He wants to be used in your life. If you're simply willing to yield to him, he wants to give you hope. And that's what we're going to sing about in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate you this morning and your resurrection. And because you have life, we can have life and we can have hope. Thank you for a hope that can be certain, not based on our performance, Not based on how we feel that day, but based on the historic event of the resurrection. Based on a God who created this world and all of us and desires us to live in relationship with him. Thank you that you give us hope for this life and hope for the next life. And that it all comes back to the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus, we honor you, we celebrate you, and we sing about this hope together. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? There's something really good about being together and celebrating something really significant, right? And that's what we did today. There is nothing more significant than the resurrection of Jesus, and the implications run out there. We have to grapple with them one way or another. And I hope that today encourage and challenge you in your journey. May you know him more and more. Next week, we're going to start a series here at Davis. So, we meet every Sunday. Sunday is Resurrection Day every week. That's why we meet on Sundays, because it's the day of the Lord's rising from the dead. And we're going to be starting a series about Teach Us to Pray. The disciples one time were witnessing Jesus interact with his Father, and they were just so caught up in the relationship between the Father and the Son. They're like, Jesus, can you teach us? And so he took some time to teach them. And we're going to walk through that prayer to learn how we can improve in our relationship and communication with God. So we'll start that next Sunday. love to have you join us. If you're looking for a church or or need somewhere to be, we're here. So we're happy to have you with us. But thanks for being here. And may this day and the following days be filled with the hope of the risen Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day, everyone.